Blog Talk Radio. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to see. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with the abuse of habeas, really a post-conviction option for those that have suffered injustice and where grave constitutional error has taken place. In the case with the IRP-5, we deal with tonight the actions and conduct of Federal Judge Christine Arguello who granted a habeas hearing, uh, really without any merit to do so. And the only grave error of the Constitution that happened was the error of what these men, the IRP-5, had suffered at the conduct conduct of this judge. Tonight we deal with that issue, the abuse of habeas. Hang on to your seats. We take off 
right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with the IRP5 coming live in studio. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart, and of course our host of the show tonight, uh, along with myself, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Stepson Riddle, and William Williams and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we begin to deal with these issues that are critically important as we try to find answers to the actions and conduct. And how deep did the conduct go to, to really guarantee uh, injustice would happen along the way? And, David, as we get ready to get into this conversation, uh, please explain to our listeners, as we will come to all of the IRP5, but I'll start with you, what is the importance of addressing this issue? And, again, we're going to address the transcript issue as well. Uh, how important is that this information get out very quickly? Well, it's just important that people understand that uh... – like other areas of our uh, justice system, there's uh, corruption in the federal justice system. And it's not a matter of what title you have or uh, what area of the justice system that you work in. There are corrupt people in every, in every aspect and uh, good people in every uh, area of law enforcement. Now, the habeas petition is set aside for typically constitutional violations. Uh, that may have occurred at, uh, in court, and many times uh, ineffective assistance of counsel. Uh, but in this case, somebody went back and, and claimed that uh, they were under a religious spell, and that's the reason they committed the crime, and the judge uh, let them go. Uh, that's an affront to the Constitution uh, and everything we know uh, as justice. And people need to be aware that these things go on. A man was released after Judge Christine Arguello conducted a religious inquisition into his mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. This is just unheard of uh, in any sort of court. Well, it, it does not speak of constitutional error. It speaks of a circus atmosphere that this judge, as we've been talking about, Federal Judge Christine Arguello and former uh, RP Solutions uh, individual Gary Walker, uh, not only did you violate the conditions and the protocol of habeas, but you did it blatantly, uh, really, for everybody to see. Um, this is unheard of. And on top of that, we have a judge that opined on the religious practices of an organization, of a church, uh, which is completely... Uh, against protocol for a judge to opine on any type of religious uh, uh, organization, uh, leadership, pastor, uh, and this again, this pastor, Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, uh, which is the church that Mr. Walker attended for 30 years. But in order to get out of a jail free card, um, he stopped at nothing. We're going to deal with the fact that the judge also stopped at nothing uh, to enable such a circus atmosphere to actually take place. We're going to deal with that. Demetrius, your thoughts on this show as we get started? 
Yeah, Lamont, uh, this is, again, I still remember vividly getting the news that he was released. There's a reason why we have uh, separated church and state. At least that's what I thought. As we've been talking on this show, that the dishonorable Christine Arguello does whatever she wants to do and uh, had a personal witch hunt, in my opinion, against our, the pastor, Pastor Rose Banks. And how does an individual that, as you stated, spent 30 years and all of a sudden makes up horrendous lies to, to get out and the judge agrees? I mean, it's just the sickest thing. Even the Supreme Court has uh, shut down every case that said uh, under religious uh, where this argument was used before. And as Christian Arguello says, no, I'm going to go against the Supreme Court and the Constitution. It's just, it's just heinous. Well, at the end of the day, Gary Walker uh, made the statement that he would do whatever it took. Uh, to ensure his release uh, from federal prison. And he maintained, and David, you can answer this, he maintained his innocence vigorously, not only in the closing statements of the trial, but beyond that, uh, maintained that he was innocent uh, until he simply said, I've had enough of prison. Yeah, and he uh, actually communicated that, uh, that he would do whatever it took to get out of prison. And that included uh, selling out his wife and his mother-in-law um, and then filing a, yeah, a, a frivolous habeas petition that would get you laughed out of any courtroom. I don't care if it's federal, state, or local, uh, that you can, at 50 years old, come into a court of law and say, uh, I was under religious mind control, and now all of a sudden I've been saying I was innocent for the past 10 years, and now, now all of a sudden I'm under the religious mind control of his mother-in-law, who Pastor Rose Banks, obviously, who, who's been his pastor for 30 years. It just, the whole thing just reeks of, uh, reeks of folly. And, and there's no judge out there with, with, with their, worth their weight in salt that would have even taken a moment to do anything with this. No, definitely so, David. Uh, and we're going to, again, uh, address that. Kendrick, your thoughts on this as well? Well, this whole issue is, if people don't understand that the Constitution is just a piece of paper, if no one follows it, that's all it is. I mean, this judge to grant Gary Walker habeas was done totally against the law, and, and in my opinion, it was like, it was like a personal vendetta. Uh, it was not about uh, Gary was you know done so wrong on the on you know with, by the by the law or whatever. This was done to, in my opinion to strike back at uh, Pastor Rosebanks. And I don't know uh, what Christine Arguello knows of Pastor Rosebanks or whatnot, but it's clear to me she's biased against her. And sure. it, and basically, if, if anybody would have came in that courtroom speaking against uh, this uh, Pastor Rosebanks, she would have went with it. My, my big problem is that this can just fly and not no one in, in the in the legal system and the government can say, you know what, this is wrong. Let's turn this around. How does this man get a habeas uh, petition? How is it that she cannot – she has still yet to release the transcripts of the habeas petition? How could you let in a conspiracy case with six individuals leave five in, to, in prison, let one out? I mean, and everything's kept secret. You won't let – I mean, there's so many wrongs in this situation that – it just like is there a law in this country? I mean, this is crazy. Well, no, absolutely. And habeas, make no mistake about it, uh, is rarely granted in post-conviction relief. 
rarely, and they are so, supposed to be granted under so many ex- extremities, if you will, that their hand is forced to grant habeas. Again, the grave error in this trial was the conduct of AUSA Matthew Kirsch and federal judge Christina Guayle, who conspired together with the office and the OK of John Walsh and did what they did. If you want to grant release, grant release because you failed as an officer of the court and you did what you did. Dave Zappolo, your thoughts? Well, when you look at this hearing, you see that there was a large number of witnesses that you never see at a habeas petition. Then the other thing that really gets you is the U.S. Attorney's Office is supposed to be fighting against the release of the uh, person that's going for the habeas petition. And the U.S. Attorney's Office just dropped the whole thing and pretty much said, well, yeah, I guess we should let him out. And that just doesn't make sense when you look at it. But you see that this was all about uh, the church, Pastor Rose Banks, but then also a point to us where they're expecting us to come and bend a knee and say, oh, you let Gary out. Please let us out now, too. And there's no way that was going to happen. So you, you see that this, like you said, this was a circuit. That's all it was. No, without question. Uh, Clint, your thoughts? Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. I agree with uh, everybody on the panel. Uh, this was a traitor of all time. Uh, certainly the judge, Christine Arguello, violated her constitutional oath. And the habeas uh, hearing was uh, really nothing, nothing more than a kangaroo court. It, it, was, it was just amazing uh, to actually see it. But if they thought we were all going to capitulate and lie uh, against the past and against the church like Gary did, they, they, they definitely got a surprise there. No, no, without question. And, and again, those are things and situations that uh, I believe are blatant actions of the court, not something trying to be done with discretion. Uh, well, let's see, so we don't appear to be biased. This judge apparently have what, has what they call the God complex, that you can do whatever you want. You don't fear the higher court, as we've discussed a week, couple of weeks ago. Uh, the appellate court upheld this conviction, did not call her out on her behavior. Uh, then no wonder you feel a God complex that I'm untouchable, that nothing can move me. Uh, We're going to expose that tonight and much more as we go down the line here uh, with the actions of this judge. Um, It's sickening, and it is what it is, and it's our our position as an advocacy organization to continue to expose corruption and injustice wherever we find it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio tonight. The abuse of habeas, how does that happen? with the judge exercising an abuse of power. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. 
It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. 
With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where tonight we deal again with another part of the, really the injustice suffered by the IRP-5 in their case, and really the conduct of, of Federal Judge Christina Aguayo. Uh, I'm telling you, it's a laundry list of information uh, that we have been talking about uh, very uh, regularly, if you will, as we have begun to pull the curtain back really on the conduct of this judge. Uh, Matthew Kirsch, AUSA, uh, Matthew Kirsch was, at the time, he uh, wrote a scathing response to the request of Gary Walker's habeas hearing. Uh, We are going to share some of that information with you tonight as well. But yet, during habeas and all that had taken place, not one objection, not one statement, not one, Your Honor, I have to object. Nothing to say he was in disagreement uh, of the man uh, that he had prosecuted uh, earlier uh, and made claims against this same individual uh, and stated this was absolutely uh, a habeas that should have been denied. That came out of the mouth of AUSA Matthew Kirsch. But when you put the, the, this, this uh, uh, really thought process to the test, Mr. Kirsch remained silent. 
during an entire proceeding that he knew himself was absolutely uh, abuse and the process itself. David, go ahead and tell our listeners uh, uh, in brief uh, the pattern that we show here with Federal Judge Christina Aguayo and how this is just mounted and continue to build every every uh, situation that she was involved in. This conduct really began to pattern out of control. Well, one thing that you mentioned earlier was that she hid from the public what actually occurred here. That's the second time she did something like that. Um, during trial, so what you what you got to ju- what you have is a judge that is continuing to violate the law. People say, well, it's taboo to say a judge violates the law. Well, you're not an attorney. I don't have to be an attorney to read the law and look at the conduct of a judge. We were there. We experienced it. We know what happened. She violated the law. Um, Prior to the habeas uh, petition, uh, uh, she coerced us into testifying in our own trial and said, if uh, one of you, either one of you testify, I'm going to rest your case. In essence, this is exactly exactly what she said. Uh, and following that, we said, well, we didn't say that. She said, well, you did say that. Well, we said, let's see the transcript. Well, the transcript, she wouldn't provide this transcript. She actually said, I don't know exactly what my phrasing was, exactly what I said, but I didn't tell you anything that you said I told you. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. So, well, okay, if, if you're confident of that, produce the transcript she refused to produce the transcript it's 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 been lost uh or destroyed now in perpetuity for as long as we it's just gone and it was another violation uh, it was a violation of our fifth amendment right and sadly we appealed that to the appellate court 10th circuit court of appeal now during trial uh Assistant United States Attorney Matthew Kirsch, when the transcript, uh, when all of this stuff was occurring and there was a back and forth between us and the judge about producing the transcript and forcing us to testify, uh, Matthew Kirsch suggested that, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, They could have, they didn't have to testify. They could have called the FBI witness because the entire matter was about our witness is not showing up for trial who was uh, uh, who were actually subpoenaed and Judge Arguello doing nothing about it. So to try to resolve the issue or try to protect his case, AUSA Kirsch said that, well, they didn't really have to testify, irrespective of what the judge said. Uh, they could have called the FBI agent who was on their witness list and actually at sitting next to the prosecutor. That's not the way trials work and you had already forced us to testify put us under intense pressure uh under the guise that you were going to arrest our case and we're not going to be able to put on a defense so we just mail it in and go to prison now then uh finally we take it to the appellate court the appellate court looks at what curse said and says well possibly well we're not we're going to agree with the defendants is what the appellate court said that they that, that the IRP-6 defendants, that Judge Arguello did make those coercive statements to, 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 uh, to them. But what they did, they said, but we know what was in the mind of Judge Arguello. So, we, so what they said is, 
when she made the statement that she denied making about forcing you to the stand, this is what she meant. She meant for you to call the FBI agent. She wasn't really meaning for you to testify. Listen, look, that is the most ridiculous explanation. Are you telling me the appellate court made that statement? So let me make sure I'm clear. She says in one breath, and this is Federal Judge Christina Arguello, that I, I don't know exactly what I said, but I absolutely said nothing. It doesn't make any sense for the appellate court to make a statement that in order to excuse the behavior of a judge that violated the law and due process, let's just come back with an answer and simply call it this. This is what she meant. She a judge doesn't get a spokesman. Well, no, you can't read the mind, of a, read judge the mind of a judge of a trial that took place. You can't read the mind of a judge, period. But this was a trial that took place over a year before the appellate court made the ruling. And then secondly, they said, not only this is what Judge Arguello meant, but this is how we took what she meant. So Look. we took what she meant as basically as ref, uh, going against her and decided we were going to testify of our own volition. And it had nothing to do with what she told us that we had to testify or she was going to arrest our case. Well, look, the bottom line here, and I'm coming to the rest of the RP5 on this. So, basically, we ignore the pattern of behavior up to this point. If, honestly, you said this is what the judge meant, based upon her pattern of behavior of bias and determined to give the IRP-5, no chance to be found not guilty. This is a pattern. Go a few steps down from the beginning of the pattern of this judge. Not only before, also during and after the trial. What she did in instructing the jury, telling the jury, if you hang this jury, I will hold you financially responsible for this trial. This is an act of abuse. So what did she mean by that? If somebody wanted to interpret, well, she meant uh, this cost a lot of money, but it was prejudice to the jury from day one then. Well, you, you have to understand something. The reason we have court reporters is to resolve issues and conflict just like that. The appellate court, I don't think people understand they literally, in their opinion, said we read the mind of Judge Arguello and we read the mind of the defendant. This is what we were, they said this is what the IRP6 defendants were thinking and this is what Judge Arguello meant when she made the coercive statements that, that she denied making. So now we have an excused uh, act of coercion. Uh, let me get into the mind of the IRP-5. This is how they took it. Well, perception is reality. Let's just give you that argument. We're not giving it to you literally. Let's just say that's the case. Perception, if it is perceived by the defendant to believe this was a call or an order to testify or else, that alone, if it's perceived, should be thrown out. 
a mistrial should have been called for, period. Period. Dave. And when you look at it, just remember, we were pro se uh, defendants. So we were running our own trial. And you have a judge that says to you, I'm going to rest your case. We had just started the defense portion of the case. So she's saying, well, I'm not going to let you put on a defense. Well, we look at that, and here's a judge that's been prejudiced of us from the beginning it, when it was completely obvious. So we're thinking, oh, this is it. We're, we're done for if we don't do what she just told us to do, which is put one of the defendants on the stand. And she was flat out straightforward with that. There was no interpreting what she said. There was no interpreting how we took it. It was, I'm going to rest your case if one of the defendants doesn't take the stand. There's no ambiguity in that. Absolutely. Clint, your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the case law is well settled in the 10th Circuit. If you don't have the transcript, just remand it back to the court or do over or dismiss the case. So when they read the mind and they show their clairvoyance, they're changing the case law that's well settled in the 10th Circuit. So they go against their own decisions that they had made that, to maintain the integrity of having a court record. So now that there's no court record, she won't produce the transcript, they want to make up another law. Why? It's, it's absolutely amazing to see them go against well-settled case law that's been the law in the 10th Circuit. Oh, absolutely right. Kendrick, your thoughts? Uh, this is the one issue that just really chafes me really bad because I'm no legal expert. But if five people... Six people hear you say on the record that you need to testify. We're going to we're going to uh, close your case, and just so happens that conversation, just that con- it's missing out the transcript. That doesn't sound fishy to you. And then you're the appellate court, and you see this issue, and you explain around the obvious that the judge is accused of saying something on the record. She does not – she comes up with every excuse under the book that the court reporter had her head set off and the things that she supposedly didn't say, but just so happened that section of the transcript is missing. And that's not concerning. If, if that doesn't convince me that there is no law in this land, that this is just the decisions of individuals who have a God complex, put on a robe, and say, you know what, it is what I say it is. So – I mean, it's just, it's obvious. It's, it's like all this legalese and things just oh. goes out the window. It's, 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 it's a cover-up, and if it was anybody else, you'd say, you know what, she did do something wrong. Let's do the right thing here. Well, here's the issue. If the transcript was missing, can you explain this to me, to our listening scholars? Why is it that the only part of the transcript missing would have incriminated and proven the abuse of this judge. How is it that you have cherry-picked a portion of the transcript that calls you in question on your conduct and your behavior, and that's, we're supposed to believe that is just a coincidence? Doesn't work. Go ahead, Dave. When you look at what happened in this case and you see this incident, you also notice, and Judge Ashley Sarakin mentioned this in his articles, that the prosecution spoke volumes by not saying anything. They never said the judge never said that. They were at the sidebar with us. They kept silent the whole time. They never came out and defended her. They never came out and said that we were wrong in saying that she said that. 
And that speaks volume. Well, I'll tell you what. They did say we support you, Judge, when they failed to speak to the abuse and to the action itself that was clearly wrong. Because the fact that you remained quiet and did not say anything, silence is a language. And to the judge, Your Honor, we will remain silent to support what you just did and not uh, really stick to the oath you took to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And if you remain silent, you're just as guilty as handing the case over to Judge Aguayo. Other side of the break, we're coming back with comments from former Honorable Judge, Federal federal Judge, excuse me, H. Lee Sarakin. He has some thoughts on this as well. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? 
The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they face. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. 
Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have began to address an issue that uh, we've basically been talking about for quite some time. Tonight we have kind of trimmed it down a little bit in regards to the conduct of Federal Judge Christine Arguello, the abuse of habeas, uh, and the actions that are unheard of. At least that was our belief uh, as this case unfolded, that you never, ever thought you would see in a criminal proceeding uh, and the violation of due process and the bias against a group of men without cause. Uh, We pick it up uh, right now. uh, I believe uh, Federal Judge Ashley Sarakin made some comments in regards to the conduct, the missing transcript. uh, And David, I know you wanted to share some of that with our listeners. What is it? Now, I first want to start with just by saying Judge H. Lee Sarakin, Harvard graduate, highly respected uh, federal appeals judge, retired from the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, spent uh, nearly 17 years on the bench. He knows the law. Uh, He was gracious enough to review the transcripts and to make a determination because he said it was just it was just impossible that he could believe that a judge would do something like this. So this is some of his comments uh, in a blog he wrote on the Huffington Post. Sarakin says, in prior posts on this matter, I have assumed that absent a transcript of precisely what was allegedly said by Judge Arguello to lead these defendants to believe that they were compelled to testify that no resolution could be made of that issue. However, after reading more of the record, the Court of Appeals, he's speaking about the Tenth Circuit, has ample opportunity to accept the defendant's factual versions as true and be guided accordingly in its ruling. Then Sarakin goes on to say, here are the uncontested facts upon which the Tenth Circuit could reach a determination that the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination was actually violated by Judge Arguello even without the critical transcript. Sarah can go along and says the court was frustrated at the slow pace of witnesses and said something to the defendants about the future of the trial during a sidebar. Immediately following the sidebar, the defendants caucus and one of the defendants uh, took the stand. No inquiry was made by Judge Arguello re- regarding uh, the defendant's waiver of his right not to testify. Shortly into the testimony, uh, AUSA Kirsch wanted clarification that the defendants were going to testify in any event, despite the problem-producing witnesses. Sarakin says, clearly, the prosecutor was concerned about Judge Arguello's comments at the sidebar that they might have been misinterpreted as being coercive. So, uh, going back to David, David Zerpolo's point, 
the two prosecutors were there and they never said a word about what they heard, nor did they uh, file a, an affidavit. When, when, when we asked uh, for affidavits and tried to, to cure the transcript issue. Sarakin goes on to say, once the issue was raised by the government uh, to Judge Arguello, that they were unanimous in their impression of the judge's remarks, and the judge made it clear to them that, they didn't, that if they didn't have a witness, one of them would have to testify in order to keep their defense alive. So you just have to think, he's reading this from the transcript. He's watching what occurred from the transcript. Uh, Sarakin goes on to say, once the issue was raised, no, I'm going on. Although Judge Arguello denied making such coercive statements, she did not recall her exact language. The failure to have that conversation must be laid at the feet of the court and the government. This is, a, this is a federal judge, but nobody wants to do anything about what occurred here. The absence of this critical conversation, the transcript of which was called for and ordered that very day, creates justifiable suspicion. Uh, and then Sarakin goes on to discuss how a third-party judge, another federal judge, said when we tried to actually he discusses when we filed a lawsuit to try to get the transcript the government the federal government this was a state lawsuit the federal government jumps in to protect the court report and we all were asking her is to produce the transcript uh now david it's my understanding that the court reporters are independent contractors basically that is correct uh, and they're selected by the judge to work in in that particular correct case. so if there's if you're requesting the transcript the payment for the transcript say if it you needed to get that in other proceedings you had to get that you pay that directly to the court reporter that is typically the way it works right so for the federal and my point is for the federal uh government to step in to shield her is completely against protocol exactly right now, I'll wrap up here. Sarakin goes on to say, with all of this uncontroverted evidence, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals certainly has enough evidence to conclude that the right against self-incrimination indeed was violated by Judge Arguello. Lacking any competent evidence to rebut those constitutional violations, the claim of the defendants must be recognized as valid even without the missing entry in the transcript. So uh, the, remember, the appellate court went on to say that, okay, we're going to say that their claim is valid, but then they started reading the mind of Judge Arguello and reading our minds and then came to a conclusion that they were not going to overturn the case and, and they were going to send us to prison over an unconstitutional trial. So I don't believe it gets any clearer than that in the opinion, uh, factual opinion, of a federal judge to say what should and should not have happened. Uh, it is clear that the argument is made that this is a valid issue. And this is a former federal judge in the Court of Appeals. Is that correct? Uh, how does that go ignored? How do you ignore that? And to me, that is sufficient uh, clear, blatant uh, information that should, be, should have been considered. Uh, Dave, go ahead. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, when you look at this, you have a situation where the transcript is for the public to see so that they can tell that this trial was held legally, that everything was followed, everything was done well. Then the appeals court will also use that on any appeal that comes forth. So when you have a piece that's missing, this is a huge problem. And then when we had an attorney go to the courthouse to request this transcript, she was actually told that this was destroyed. This doesn't happen. You don't destroy a transcript. You don't take this information that is supposed to be for the public consumption and take it away from them from seeing that. That, that takes away all the integrity of a trial. Well, to this is the question. There must be something else going on if you feel a need to hide and to keep information out. If, if someone is praising me as a judge that is fair, that is honest, and I want to release that because I've done my job, and I have lived by the oath to uphold and protect the Constitution on all defendants that come into my court, I can assure you that there would be no hesitation in releasing that information. The, wherever you are needing to hide and to cover up something that's being done, there is a motive behind it. And the only motive you can come up with here is that they blatantly, with the intention to do what they did. Christina Goyle, with the intent to prejudice and to become biased against the RP5, is crystal clear. And you have a federal judge appellate judge stating that something is wrong here. How is it that that goes ignored by the brethren uh, of the judges? Clinton, your, I mean, yeah, Clint, your, your thoughts. Yeah, you can't uh, absolve the 10th Circuit of Appeals from that. They are culpable in exactly that statement. They help to perpetuate the corruption. They're the referee. If you don't have a record of the, of the case, don't send it to me. Undo it and go again. What this trial went to them were the incomplete records, and they waxed clairvoyant as to why that was the case. But the law is plain. They've stated, if you don't have a complete record, file, call file, and redo, undo that conviction. Well, the point is, if the... This is, I don't think people understand the severity of the conduct here. In a case that is sent to the Court of Appeals, that case, those transcripts, after being reviewed by the court, if there is one page of the transcript out of 500, you must dismiss for mistrial. Because the, at the end of the day, you have submitted, as Clint just alluded to, an incomplete record to rule whether the case was fair or not, whether constitutional errors happened or not. If a page is missing, and it is stated by this judge, I know something about what I said, and that particular transcript is missing out of the file, you must throw out the conviction and in this case, it, it must be given a mistrial. Has to be, because an appellate court cannot rule to overturn a case 
with an incomplete record. It's impossible to do. Kendrick, your thoughts? This is, as Clint was saying, this is just sad to see how it's not about justice. It's not even about by following the rules. It's about one of our own messed up and we're going to cover up for it. And so the thing is, the, the court is supposed to be the middleman in between the government and the, the people. But it's like it's their own little fraternity. We're going to make sure that – I mean because look at it. This judge made a serious error and basically uh, 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 with pro se defendants who are basically rank amateurs. And she makes this error and in court, and she's supposed to be the seasoned attorney, federal judge, which she did on purpose. But it, it's not up to the appellate court to feel like, you know, it's our job to cover up for – her mistake in overturning the government's case, but it's like, what about justice though? This this judge is holding us accountable to the law and sent us to prison, but they get the right to just break the law whenever they want to, not honor the law they're holding us Americans to. The court just does what they want, so it's just it's and it just really irks me that it's just like they act like this didn't happen. This is like some this is some light error. This took people's lives away. Off of a, a judge lying and going against the Constitution just so that she can win a case for the government. This is ridiculous. No, absolutely right. Demetrius. Yeah, and, and what really, really uh, upsets you that everybody was in on the take. As David said, as time and time again, is this cronyism, as Kendrick said, we're going to uphold. They know the law was broken. And you know what? They don't care. Our lives, we spent eight years in prison because a judge was bent on sending us. She, she know what she said. She goes, I don't remember what I said, but I didn't say that. You just lied. The Matthew, AUSA Kirsch and Sunita Hazra, they, when we came back from our lunch uh, break, he gets up on, on there and says, well, we want to make sure it's clear that they, um, that they uh, volunteered because he knew what was said. He knew that was, we were told and compelled to testify. So, again, as you alluded to earlier, Lamont, they had to cover up. Everything was on the, on the take, and that really, really just, just tees you off that, that we, we wasted uh, eight years of our lives because they wanted to win at all costs. Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, as I sit back here and just listen to these guys' story and hear, hear them recount the details of just being slightest in the most egregious way, I mean – there's no integrity when it comes to the robe anymore. There's no integrity when it comes to the bench. And, I mean, it's, it's definitely understandable to, to question the entire system at this point. Because, I mean, if one's guilty of it, how many more are out there? I mean, we can, we can I guarantee we could go through case law and find case after case after case of people that have been wrongfully imprisoned, wrongfully convicted. And this time it just hit really, really close to home for each and every one of us. Now, the fact of the matter is... You know, we as an advocacy organization are going to go out there and we're going to continue to press the matter to seek justice and to go after, you know, uh, Kirsch, Judge Arguello, and everybody else that was involved because the fact of the matter is they know they lied. They know they, they, they don't want to unseal the records. They don't want to give up the transcript. They don't want to give up anything that's going to incriminate them. And the fact of the matter is sooner or later it's going to come to the surface as long as we keep pressing the matter. And I, I pray that these, these guys, we see justice for them and we see it soon. All right, Dennis, your thoughts on this conduct of this judge, uh, the pattern here. Um, what are your thoughts? It, to me, it's just unheard of, you know, how uh, someone can 
take the job. You know, you know, should she should have been a referee, but uh, she jumped on the side of the pros- uh, you know prosecution. But it's just amazing to me that someone could get away with that. It's it's, it's almost like this is just not real. I mean, it's 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 like how could you do this? And you know you knew you know you're wrong. You you know you lied. You know that these men should not have went to prison. But despite you know what was were you paid? I mean, it's kind of like who would do something like this unless there was uh, uh, some great game? I mean, to put these men in prison, surely there had to be some type of uh, uh, she had to get something. And again, I don't know the whole story, but I know what happened to these men were wrong. And uh, the judge, I'm telling you, this is this is considered a corrupt judge. Any judge that would take sides, period, should not be on the bench. No, no, absolutely right. And uh, uh, those are the questions that uh, you don't have answers to, but absolute power uh, can render absolute corruption. Uh, This is the facts of when you can't find an answer, what is the motive? To hate and to uh, rail on a pastor, a church, in which you know nothing about. And you'll know as we talk about the pattern of abuse, right now we're, we're at the point of, again, finishing up the, uh, uh, the transcript situation. But she went further with the habeas circus that she allowed in her court. How many things do you have to see that shows this judge had no reign or reigning in, if you will, to what is right, what is proper, what is protocol, what is the role of this judge? And let me be clear. There are many judges who honor the role in which they put on. Many. That ponder And because the way legislation is written, they are forced in situations that limits even their human decency to do the right thing. There are judges who are faced with that, very clear with uh, mandatory minimums uh, and and laws that have been passed along those lines. But in this case with Judge Aguil that we've addressed, this is a simple act of cruelty. From the beginning that I will destroy these men and she did it without cause. She made a statement that your lives are in my hands. Said it once, say it again. A God complex that I am untouchable. Well, we got news for Federal Judge Christine Arguello. You are sadly mistaken. AJC, a just cause will continue vigorously to expose the actions of this court and this trial. And I guarantee you, there are more cases to follow as long as she remains on the bench, untouched. On the other side of the break, David Banks is going to give information and really thought-provoking information to our current state. Uh, regarding 
information not being released and covered up. He's going to explain on the other side of the break as we turn the page and go directly into the habeas abuse. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exoneration, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay Call one 529 4252 It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there, the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. 
Blame the dead boy. Blame your mother. Blame society. Blame your father. Blame the gun. Blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun to break the cycle. and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have had a very interesting discussion regarding Federal Judge Christine Arguello, her pattern of abuse in the IRP-5 case is absolutely uncanny. Uh, You try to wrap your hands around this type of conduct of a trial, a proceeding that ensures the Constitution of the United States will be upheld, and every individual that enters your court will be entitled to fairness and due process. That particular thought process has left the station from our criminal justice system in a very, very big way. And again, we say that we are aware that there are judges that honor the honor the role, rather and the oath they took in becoming a judge. That's at the state as well as the federal level. 
But tonight we are forced in a position to expose those that choose not to honor uh, the Constitution of the United States, uh, namely uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello. And uh, David Banks made a good point as we were discussing during break that the current state of affairs of this country, people become outraged, they protest, they march, they go on all types of social media platforms to cry out against the current injustices, such as George Floyd uh, and others that have faced uncomprehendable uh, punishment, if you want to call it that, unfairness, uh, cruelty, and yet people do all of this but are fearful to stand and let their voice be heard as it should be. David, give our listeners a little bit uh, of what your thought process is on that. Well, I'm still, uh, even though I'm out of prison right now, I'm still devastated by what actually occurred here and that the disinterest shown by the mainstream media to actually call out and expose this judge that's supposed to be their role in our constitutional system of government is to be a check on government abuse but we see it in the Breonna Taylor case we have secret grand jury proceedings well how can people trust something that's secret so they just want us especially given uh all of the issues that are going on in this country where there's a lot of distrust we a lot of video uh, tape of, of police officers doing crazy stuff and they say well just trust what we're telling what, what we're telling you nobody can trust what you're telling you need to have transparency then they always fall back on the grand jury the secret proceeding well why does it remain secret after after the proceedings over it shouldn't have to remain secret if you wanted to redact the names of the grand jurors or something to protect them that's fine but release the information all of that should be made public and we're watching Judge Arguello, and they just do it with complete impunity. So, oh, no, the transcript is not available. How is the transcript in the 20th century not available in the digital age? It just doesn't make sense, and nobody's listening. But uh, what it gives you is the indication is that the media is in bed with the federal government, and they're not going to do anything. They're as crony and as corporate uh, of an institution as, as we have in this country. And it's just horrible that uh, something like this can happen in the country. You hear all this stuff, nobody's above the law. That is a lie. The media won't even report when judges behave like this and take away a citizen's freedom, unlawfully do it, and nobody seems to care. Well, to me, the grand jury process is a complete contradiction of the court system in place. How is it that you can go into a grand jury with a one-sided theory of a crime, of a case, and the other party who you're making an accusation against cannot speak a word, cannot have their attorney in the grand jury, so a prosecutor sells this case their theory of the case to the grand jury. Well, once they hear your side, there is no contradiction. 
to challenge your theory. How do you possibly come back with an indictment without two sides being told? That is absolutely insane. But it, what's even worse than that, Ramana, is that most of the time the people who are being, I don't even know what you call it when a grand jury is impaneled, and, and they're basically you are on trial without being able to put your side of the story up, but you don't even know a grand jury is impaneled against you. If you don't have some inside track, uh, somebody that you might know that was called at the grand jury, you don't even know that they're trying to get an indictment against you. The second grand jury in the IRP case, nobody knew what was happening. Why? Because they called one FBI agent, let him testify, came back with a so-called true bill of indictment at the grand, from the grand jury, and nobody even knew the second grand jury was going on. So you don't even have a chance to defend yourself against a lying FBI agent, an assistant U.S. attorney, the prosecutor, who's up there telling the story to a grand jury, making you look like a monster, you have no idea what's going on, and you end up being indicted and have, indicted and have to fight for your life. Well, well then on top of that, uh, my understanding is when they're convening a uh, grand jury, this is weeks. Several weeks of grooming the jury. So we're bringing lunch into these guys. We're saying, hey, guys, this is what this is about. We wanted to let you. There, because there is no check and balance system, you have no idea what's being told to the grand jury. That's untrue. Just a prosecutor of the government of the United States says, this, ladies and gentlemen, we got you here today. We really, they could be just saying to them, you know, we hate to do this, but it's our responsibility. You've groomed the jury. But you, in every court of law, you have a prosecution or the government of the United States, and you have a defense. To hear both, that it would be fair. How do you leave that element out of a grand jury process? That makes no sense. And the Cliff's point you have no idea it's even being done. Your close ratio in convening a grand jury is going to be next to none because you have nothing to argue. You have nothing to contradict the position of the government of the United States to the grand jury who takes you at face value because of the prestige that the office of the, of the prosecution or the government of the United States holds in the eyes of everyday people, and they don't know any better. Dave? Well, when you look at the grand jury, I, I testified at the grand jury, and the average citizen that gets called to testify at a grand jury, that gets subpoenaed to testify at a grand jury, doesn't know all of their rights in the first place. I mean, you can't have an attorney in there with you. But you can bring an attorney with you. They can wait outside the grand jury. And every time they ask a question, if you want to, you can get up and say, I have to talk to my attorney before I answer that question. You can talk to your attorney, then come back and answer the question. So explain to me, what's the difference of having him in the courtroom? I think it's so that he can, if, if he's in the courtroom, when the uh, prosecutor is asking questions, he could stop you. Because one of the things I noticed when I was there is they're trying to trick you into lying. So they ask questions that don't make any sense sometimes. The other thing that they did in this particular grand jury is they had a big screen that uh, projected the evidence. 
Well, that screen was behind me, so I had a hard time seeing it. So they had a book of evidence sitting in front of me that was probably three inches thick with no tabs in it. So I had to flip through that book trying to find the evidence that they were talking about so I could answer their question. Well, when you're flipping through it furiously so that you can answer their question in a timely manner, it makes you look nervous. Then they had a, 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 a jug of water sitting in front of me that had a loose cap on it. So when I went to pour myself water, I poured the water all over myself. Again, that made me look nervous. Wow. Then we had, I had brought in a book of evidence. And when I tried to present that evidence, they started ushering me outside the courtroom. And except for the fact that one of the grand juries, when I said, does anybody want to see this evidence? One of the grand jurors said, yes, I want to see it. Then they had to give it to them. If the grand jury hadn't seen that, I would have been out the door and wouldn't have had our evidence presented. Is that the grand jury that came back with no uh, further action to be taken? That's correct. So this is sick. This is sick. So you have you have a group of people. Is there a judge in the grand jury? There is not a judge. There's just a prosecutor and then the grand jurors. And the other thing at that grand jury is they were asking questions about Pastor Rose. She had nothing to do with the, with the business. So when they had Lawana Clark's trial, when the uh, lead grand juror was on the stand and they asked who this investigation, this grand jury was investigating, she said Rose Banks. And it wasn't Rose Banks that was supposedly being investigated. It was IRP Solutions. Well, the reality, it was Rose Banks. Exactly. And. But see, that's where if uh, an attorney was in there with you, he would have stopped that whole line of questioning. Right. Because it had nothing to do with what the supposed investigation was for. So you have a prosecution the government of the United States in a closed room to put anything he chooses in the minds of the grand jury. Absolutely. And because he represents the government of the United States, people in general will take a lower seat and believe their statements to be true. That's correct. Absolutely. And you look at everything that they do is to point the jurors to getting an indictment. They had a, a poster board up there showing a money laundering scheme that had nothing to do with the investigation, that there was no proof of anything like that, and it was proven that there was nothing like that. But they left that there so that every day the grand jurors came in, they saw that and kept fixating on that. Do you know how sick that sounds? This is absolutely outrageous. And how do we, as American citizens, remain silent in a situation like this? How do you possibly call that fair? And if an indictment comes down from the grand jury... In the minds of those that don't know any better, then an indictment came down from the grand jury of the United States. So surely 
these men must be guilty. And they're looking at the fact that these are average people that said these guys are guilty. So they must have seen something that, that showed it to them, that it must have been that way. But there's no defense. There's no uh, argument against what the prosecution is saying. The prosecution can flat out lie. Period. I mean, they flat out lied to me. I walked in the door and they said, you're not a target of this investigation. Well, I knew that wasn't true. Well, here's the problem. You don't even have a judge to referee the proceedings of a grand jury, which means if a grand jury comes back with an indictment, they come back blindsided with one theory. It's unfair. It's unfair. Well, you know what else, Lamont? This is David Banks. They don't even have to supply the grand jury with known exculpatory information. They can legally leave out stuff they know that exonerates you and still get an indictment, and the courts allow it. And on some of the members of Congress that we have had the privilege of meeting with, uh, Cliff, I believe it was uh, Representative Hank Johnson, was talking about legislation uh, being changed within the grand jury process because you don't even have to be a scholar. To understand, if I come at one point and make one statement against one person, and that, and I'm, somebody's hearing it, you know what they're going to say? If I'm with you and said, hey, this guy came in my house, he, he assaulted me, uh, threw me off the balcony, I broke my leg. Oh, my goodness. They're going to believe what I say. Why? The person I'm accusing cannot speak. But we call this fair. How do we have a grand jury if the grand jury should be at a higher standard than the regular jury? And a regular jury hears both sides. In this case, with federal judge Christine Arguello, she made every attempt that the jury was not given information. When the jury wrote back and said, is there any other evidence that we can see? She lied to the, to, to the jury. No, we have nothing. You have plenty that you withheld from that jury. That is uncomprehendable to me. And you know what's very sad about the grand jury process or the jury process in general, which all of them operate in a black box, and all the government does is they're probably the biggest straw man in, in history is a grand jury and the justice grand jury and a jury in the justice system because the prosecutor is going to say, "Oh, we didn't do anything wrong. Your your fellow citizens indicted you. Your fellow citizens found you guilty. So they they can pretty much try to wash their hands of all of their misconduct because they're not going to get any any you're not going to get any redress with an appellate court. Uh, so well, the grand uh, the jury respect the verdict of the jury." When you've done all sorts of corrupt things during a trial with full knowledge that an appellate court is not going to do anything about it and let, and let you just be railroaded into prison uh, and they get away with literally murder. And it's just a sad, sad thing that they use the American people who serve on juries and grand juries uh, to deflect from all of their misconduct and unlawfulness during trials and during the grand jury process. It is just very tragic. And 
I just don't something has got to change in this country. And then what's worse, David, is that the judges and prosecutors have this insanity called, uh, you know, immunity that they can commit egregious acts, prosecutorial judicial misconduct. And, well, hey, I was just doing my job or a judge says, well, that was an error that, uh, you know, is excusable or in the case of Judge Christine Arguello knowingly the transcript is missing you and the court reporter came together that the transcript either was destroyed taken out it's not there and nothing has happened in eight years about this judge whatever you want to call she did to the transcript destroyed misplaced got rid of lost whatever happens there should be some recourse to during your trial as a judge, you lost a transcript and the defendant spent eight years in prison, but you have immunity that basically they voted in for themselves. We voted in immunity and hey, we get it. If we make a so-called quote unquote mistake during the case, nothing can happen to us. A prosecutor can lie, cheat, all but kill. And who knows if they can even kill and get away with it. And nothing happens while your life is totally disrupted and destroyed for almost a decade. And on top of that, you send all the information to Congress who can actually impeach a judge. But we're not politically important. They can't gain any political capital, so they let the judge get away with it. They can literally call a hearing, uh, conduct an investigation into the judge's conduct, and impeach the judge. Even that was done uh, repeatedly with... Uh, just dozens of trips to by just cause to to lawmakers on on Capitol Hill, and still they'll they'll admit that something was done wrong, but Absolutely. nobody does anything about it because what what am I going to gain from it politically? And that's that's uh, Kendrick. Yeah, because really, if you think about it, your conviction starts the day that grand jury is convened. Because in the federal system, there's a 98% chance that once that that indictment comes down, you're you're guilty and not not real guilt but you will be found guilty by the law because the the evidence was bogus you don't know even how they have the indictment we no one knows what goes on behind those closed doors they they put so much pressure on you your family they do gotcha moments like they did with Lawana clark it's like well if you look innocent we're going to find something in this grand jury here to find somebody guilty that you love and care about to convince you to take a plea deal so that you don't, you know, save the lives of your family or, or you go. I mean, this is not justice. I don't know how this can just keep going on in this country. The press doesn't care. I mean, they investigate everything, but you don't get a, You can't send an investigative reporter to say, you know what, let's look into the grand jury system. Let's look into this stuff and show Americans this needs to change. This is not justice in this country. William, your thoughts? You know, you sit back and you listen to all this stuff and you realize the manipulation that has taken place is so incredible. I mean, it's like you listen to it. If you if you were if you were due to this, you think, man, no, this is a movie. They're 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 talking about a movie. This is some kind of script. No, we watched this. This is happening in the courtrooms today. And to Cliff's point, with immunity, they're able to do whatever they want without any kind of ramifications or repercussions coming back at them. They can do whatever they want. They play God, these judges that I'm talking about. 
where they sit there and they allowed a the grand jury to be convened. And to David's point, David Banks' point, they don't really have to present all the evidence, just the evidence necessary to steer the grand jury in the direction that they want to go. And that's what happened in this whole case. When you look at all this stuff, it really centers on this judge. It all centers on her. She allowed the steering, the manipulation. Now the transcript is gone, which would have caught her in a bind. That's gone. And to Cliff's point, it's been effort after effort to get the transcript for eight years. It hasn't been produced. Well, the problem here, um, most people don't even know this is happening. Well, I think, they don't have any idea. I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have interrupted, but I, I think when we were at break, David Banks had brought up the point about Breonna Taylor's case, and I think that's relevant to what we're talking about. Because when you think about it, there are so many people said in awe, like, how? What? I mean, it was, it was rumblings across the nation that the grand jury came back with the verdict that they did. This is what, what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about is the manipulation and allows this things like this to happen. I mean, it really does. So when you look at you look at the fact that Daisy Polo went, presented the information, and if you had not asked that question, if you had not asked, said, "Look, I've got evidence right here in my hand," and one of the jurors said, "Yes, I would like to see it." Then that grand jury came back with the correct, correct uh, uh, judgment. I guess that's the correct word. But when you look at uh, this whole case, it, it just all reeks of the same thing, the same motive, the same underhanded steering and manipulation that was all gone on by this judge. Well, the moment you begin to steer someone one direction or another, you might you might as well throw out due process. If I can steer, and again, a grand jury uh, procedure is the steering of a group of people towards one theory of a case. You are steering them there. How are you comfortable with an indictment coming back that is one-sided completely? How is that? And why are people not asking those question. Why is not someone in the grand jury saying, can we hear from the person you're trying to charge? Can you hear from their attorney that we might make a sound reasoning to set down an indictment or not? That To me, that is common sense. That's how it should be. But this secrecy is Secrecy is to cover the corruption. Secrecy is to say anybody with any level of education will tell you, well, can I, from the playground when we were kids, you get in a fight in a, on a playground with two, your friend on, on, at recess, guess what? Bobby, what happened? Okay, Lamont, what happened? We are taught that as fairness in our youth, in our culture. How then do we have a criminal justice system, court proceedings, even when someone is accused of a crime, 
that the prosecution puts on their case. The defense puts on their case. A true judge ensures fairness that is equal playing ground. How do we abandon that at the grand jury process? David, you know what's sad is I listen to a lot of uh, people come back and they want, and people are, are outraged about Breonna Taylor's case. And then they say, well, the prosecutor explained that the evidence wasn't there. Well, who trusts a prosecutor? Yes, we go. Yeah. Why should we trust his, uh, okay, he, he's, just, uh, he's supposed to be honorable. The system has not proven to be an honorable system in many cases, which is why the distrust of the system is so deep into the hearts of many, many Americans, especially African-Americans. So they just say, well, uh, they need to get over it because the prosecutor, he got on TV in the Breonna Taylor's case, the Kentucky prosecutor, Cameron, I believe his name was, yep. uh, said that this is what happened. I don't believe you. Why should I believe you? And they just act like, okay, it's been spoken. God has spoken. God has reviewed this thing. And this is where it ends up. There's this blind trust yep. in prosecutors and judges. We're so title drunk. They, they're almost, it's almost idol worship like that. Oh, this is a federal judge. A prosecutor wouldn't do that. You don't know that prosecutor uh, from Adam's house cat. You don't know him, period. But yet you give him the benefit of the doubt that he's an honest, trustworthy guy. But then they, they tell the citizen who's the accused, uh, you get no benefit of the doubt. That, that's how the system works. Uh, all the benefit of the doubt goes to the prosecutor. 99% of people, 99% of these officers are, are good people. You can't prove that. It may be true, but you can't prove it. Well, why don't you say 99.9% of citizens who get accused are honorable, nice people? They don't, they don't do that. They always lean to uh, the prosecutors and the judges as great people and the average citizen is just a piece of garbage who committed a crime. I forget the gentleman, the judge that was appointed to the Supreme Court before this latter one, not the young lady that Trump just... Gorsuch. No, it was Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh it, was the last So one. who was the one before Gorsuch. that? I, I think, David, we had this discussion that Congress asked him something in regards to judges. Would judges simply come in and, and do what they want without fairness uh, for both sides? His statement was, it is my belief that no judges come in with the intent to do wrong by a defendant. But citizens do. And I, I believe, the, I don't know, if, I remember being so outraged. Who says that? So we're just to believe none of the judges would ever do such a thing. They're great people. That's a lie. Wherever you have human behavior and human flaws, you are a rightful candidate to not do the right thing. Bottom line. And just like in our society, one may not like one for whatever reason or another for this reason. You're telling me that justice is blind? I have news for you. It is not blind. And there was one illustration drawn where they show Lady Justice 
had a covering over her face, but she had one, the, the right eye lifted to see. That is the condition of our justice system today. We're going to have comments back from Dave Zapolo, uh, William Williams, and some more of the IRP5 folks. This show and the exposure of this system becomes more all uh, revealing every single week. It's like, can we get any more shock to a system that we call the best in the world? We are absolutely not. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out, and there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. 
by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I'll be honest, your resume, not what I'm used to. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills. I need problem-solving skills. I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. We have really placed our feet in areas that is unfamiliar to most of America. When we watch shows such as Law and Order, Perry Mason, we have in some ways had an idea of how the criminal justice system works. People tend to believe what they have seen. However, the culture of our criminal justice system in this country is exactly the opposite. So we find ourselves in situations that the RP5 have suffered. And that is the highest level to me of egregious behavior that cost these men eight years of their life. 
you who may not have had issues with the system as of yet may see that as some production or a Hollywood production of what the legal system is about. I beg to differ. These men have suffered a huge miscarriage of justice that was avoidable by simply a federal judge to do the right thing. She chose not to do so. I'd like to get some closing remarks, if we can, from our honored guest, the IRP5. And the question I'll pose to you is this. How do we change the system? And how do we get the word out for people to know and see the system as what it is based upon the nightmare that you have lived? David, I'll start with you. Well, I'm not so sure uh, exactly how to do it. Uh, Unfortunately, and sadly, some of these incidents that have taken place that you see that's publicly reported on the news cast enough aspersions on the criminal justice system where maybe people would start looking at things and start seeing things in a different light. Uh, The media seems to be in the bed with the government. Uh, They will never report on on government misconduct unless it's for the benefit of one of the large political parties. Um, It just does not happen. The media is, it's a crony media, it's a money-based corporate media that feeds off government interests and supports the government. So as a citizen, I'm not sure uh, change is going to be very hard to come by unless... uh, these incidents keep uh, actually getting raised by the media and racial injustice is a, is a big term that they're using now, but um, they're very selective on what they want to actually talk about. And it's, it usually has to get some sort of initial visibility and then they'll, they'll pick it up, but it has the benefit of political party. That's the sad part. And that's tragic. Demetrius. Uh, it's a tough question, Lamont, uh, as David alluded to. Um, I, I be- believe Andrew Aberelli had said we had to start over. Um, that's a good start again uh, with the social justice the 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 cry for change uh, the climate I believe I really believe in my heart is, is changing uh, to 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 change our judicial system one that's characterized as the best in the world we know that's a farce it's a lie and we're here to tell you that it's a lie uh, this is happening to Americans all over the country and it's very very sad um, I just hope that uh, the things that you guys are doing at a just cause, maybe we can start in gender change. And that's, I'm, I'm very hopeful that, you know, enough people in power, the political circles, as David alluded to, they need to get behind this. I mean, you guys took 70 trips and we need the congressmen. We need Senate. We, we need all of them to feel it as if it was their son, their, their husband, their, their daughter in regards to LaWanna Clark, they need to make change. Kendrick. Uh, what could make a change? I don't know, but I think there could be some things that as a society we could look at differently. Like that phrase law and order is not justice. I mean, justice is justice to say that law and order means orders to put people in their places. And that may not mean everyone gets the justice they deserve. But if we kind of could just as a country uh, feel as we're all the same and in this together and quit dividing each other, 
And if we felt for our neighbor, we feel like, you know what, I wouldn't want that happening to me. And maybe we could get justice that way. But it's going to take more than laws and legislation to change the hearts and minds of people. I mean, it's just a tough question to answer. All right, babe. When you look at this situation and the way things work in our government today, you have to get our senators and congressmen to get behind it. And that's not going to happen because they are looking at money. That's it. And if this doesn't affect their money, they're not going to change. I mean, you have the prison industrial complex uh, supporting mass incarceration. So you're going to want to put more and more people in there because that's putting more and more money in people's pockets. So until money starts getting affected, there's nothing that's going to change. And it's unfortunate that even the American people speaking out about this may not cause any type of change. Yeah, real tough question. I think uh, until we see the good judges, the, the people who are in the robes who are doing the good that we believe that are there, uh, stand up and say, you guys that are doing bad, the few that are doing bad that we assume or we give them the benefit of the doubt that there are a few that are doing bad until the good ones stand up and say, you're making us look bad, do the right thing. Let's correct these cases, so on and so forth. Let's uh, do justice so that the people say it's not an outcry against the system. Otherwise, there's going to be a, a, a sad uh, a disruption of the system. It can't continue to go on as it is. But uh, granted, it's a tough question. Well, I'll tell you this, and I'll close with this, that the culture has to be completely destroyed. And to Meet's point, uh, Demetrius, uh, without that, if we keep making excuses, well, we just need to pass this law and that law and this law, the entire world was shook the very foundations on the death of George Floyd, where millions of people across the world witnessed the intent and the murder and the killing of a citizen that begged for his life and called for his mother who had preceded him in death. The foundation of this world was shook. Answer this question and ponder this. After that, protests in numbers we had never seen on a global scale. How is it that the increased killing and abuse were more shown in higher numbers after the death of George Floyd? That tells you we have a problem that is far bigger than ourselves. Until we recognize that, ladies and gentlemen, this country is on a fast train downward. We need to continue to speak out. Till next time, America, this is AJC Radio. We got a long way to go. It's time we get to work. Till next time, good night, Americans.